Well, I'm glad you guys are here to worship the Lord. Why don't we uh, find our seats and you can uh, take your Bibles and uh, let's open our Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 17. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, we want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around, you can just get their attention. They would love to give you one. If you don't own a Bible, just uh, take that one. It's a gift to you. We want you to have it, and we're going to be there in Exodus chapter 17, or uh, you can follow us on the Bible app. I'm just going to leave that there for a sec. Uh, Exodus chapter 17. All right, here's the deal. Uh, The title of today's message is this, Attitude Adjustments Part 3. Okay, it's kind of like God just knew that we needed to do some more work on this one, Uh, or at least I did. Um, It's kind of funny how when you're like going through things like this, God just gives you opportunities uh, to practice what you preach. You know what I'm saying? And um, I, I don't know why, but over the last couple of weeks, there have been so many uh, situations that I find myself kind of sarcastically just saying, well, it's a good thing we're not preaching and complaining right now. And um, God's just been, uh, it, this has been like super convicting for me. I'm just saying he's doing a work on my heart, and so I'm going to uh, force it on you too, because uh, I don't want to be alone in this. Uh, but Tuesday, I had one of these perfect opportunities. We were traveling home from Massachusetts. Uh, my uh, wife Carissa and the kiddos had, had been up there for a week. They'd been uh, visiting her parents, spending time with grandma and grandpa. So I went up to hang out with them last Sunday, and we were there Monday, and we're driving home on Tuesday, and we left at 9.30 in the morning. Problem is, Massachusetts is really far away. And so we weren't getting into Fairfax until about uh, like 5.30, all right? So it just, it's been a long day. It's been fine. Like we got through New York, okay. It's just, it's just long, okay? We've been in the car a long time. And um, we, we always know that we're almost home when we're flying along the road and then all of a sudden the traffic just kind of comes to a, a complete standstill. And it's like, welcome to Northern Virginia. We're home. And, uh, and, and so here we are kind of uh, creeping along now in traffic, and then it starts to rain, which um, always brings out the excellence and quality of our driving skills around here, um, said with just a little bit of sarcasm. And so now, now we are, are, are driving slowly and, and dangerously and, and kind of desperately just trying to get home, and uh, then Google gives us a shortcut, along with 5,000 other people that get the same shortcut at the same exact time, so that's going to work out great. And and so here I am now, I'm I'm, I'm traveling down this back street, I literally have no idea where I'm at, I'm completely trusting Google, and I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, I see police tape across the street with a big road-closed sign, and, and, and now we're having to divert into this community. I, I have no idea where we're at. We can't find our way out of here. Google has pretty much just given up, like you're on your own. And, and so we're trying to figure out, we're trying to backtrack. Oh, and by the way, uh, my two-year-old has now been in the car for, strapped into a car seat for eight and a half hours, so that's going awesome. And, and, and we're trying to back out and find, like, where in the world are we? We had been trying to get home in time to drop off our stuff at home so that we could make it to small group in time. We had small group that night, and so here we are trying to find out our directions and realizing we don't have time anymore, and we're just going to have to reroute and go straight to small group. Meanwhile, it has now been two days since I preached part two on complaining. (laughs) 
And I would love to tell you that I just sat there um, with like this calm, cool trust in the Lord and his sovereignty and goodness in my life in that moment. Uh, but in my heart, I was not doing so hot. And I, re- I, I, I remember like realizing it and I turned to Carissa and I said, I think I'm starting to get why the gospel really is the only thing that can change my attitude. Because it's one thing to know, like, you know, don't complain. I'm just going to keep it in check. Like, don't, don't complain. Try harder. But eventually what happens is uh, enough little stuff just kind of piles up and, and, and you, you know, all these things are coming in until you feel justified. Like, surely now all of this injustice warrants some complaining, right? Like, I, like you can try as you will to just stop complaining. Eventually, you feel like you have enough reasons to just let it fly. And, and, and I started... I mean, we just preached on this, and, and I knew I needed to do it, and so I started thinking about what Jesus has done for me. And, and I realized that only the gospel keeps my heart from thinking and believing that I deserve better than what I'm going through. It really is the only thing that's going to change my heart. In fact, last week I was uh, walking by somebody, I kind of asked him in passing, like, hey, how you doing? And, and they gave me that response, and you probably heard it before, uh, but they said, um, better than I deserve. And I've heard, I've heard that, you know, and people say that, it's kind of a thing. But, it, I, like, honestly, I just kind of stood there for a moment, and it just kind of hit me. What if we got that? What if we really understood how true that really is? What I want us to do today as we jump into Exodus chapter 17, I, I'm, I'm just more and more convinced that we need to see the power of the gospel to change our attitudes. So here's the big idea. Let me give you the big idea of the text this morning if you're taking notes. Note this. Our bad attitudes stem from hard hearts. But God's shocking response can change our hearts which changes our attitudes. We're just looking at the power of the gospel here. Let me show this to you. Uh, here we are in Exodus chapter 17. I'm going to pick up starting right here in verse 1. Check this out. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? 
Father, I, I pray that you would impress this truth on us again. And I confess that, man, even after preaching for two weeks on this, I, I still found myself struggling with my attitude. And um, I, I feel you convicting me and bringing me to this understanding of what's really going on inside of my heart and what needs to happen and my dependence on you for that. And so, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the glory and the patience and, and the trust of Jesus and the Father and, and the sacrifice that you have done. Let us see the power of the gospel to change our hearts so that we're full of gratitude and love for you. That's the only thing that's really going to bring lasting change to our attitudes. And I pray that in this, uh, you're going to change us to be more like Jesus so that we are going to respond differently. We are going to react differently, and people will notice that. Philippians 2 tells us that if, if, if we are doing this without uh, grumbling, without dispu- disputing, we're going to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked generation. I think people are going to see the, the difference that Jesus is making in our attitudes, and we're going to have opportunities to say, here's the reason why. It's because of what Christ has done for me. And so I pray that you'd remind us of that and help us to walk out of here changed because of the power of the gospel as the Spirit is working in our hearts, and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, here's what we're going to do today. It's going to be a little bit different, but I want to take our big idea, and I just want to kind of unpack this, okay? And so we're going to break our big idea down into two parts and just look at the two things that what we're trying to understand from this text. So let's just look at the first part of this. Our bad attitudes stem from hard hearts. Let's just take a look at that, okay? So what's happening here is the, 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 the people are wandering in the wilderness here. They, they can't find any water to drink, and so the text says they start to quarrel with Moses. Now, if you're reading this and you're feeling like a little deja vu, you'd be right, because a similar situation just happened at the end of chapter 15. Same situation, can't find water to drink. We're really thirsty. This is kind of getting a desperate situation, so what do they do? They grumble, and they start complaining. But this word here, that they, they quarreled with Moses, an interesting word. It means uh, not only to just complain, but it has the idea of taking legal action against somebody. So it's, it, it's kind of like you're making a lawsuit. So it's like they're taking Moses to court, and they're going to put him on trial, and they're going to make their case against him. Like, we've got a grievance, and we're going to prove that we're right. But Moses said, he says, wait, 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 time time out, tell me. Why why do you quarrel with me? Verse 2, look at it. Why do you test who? Why do you test the Lord? He's saying, listen, your your, your beef's not really with me. It's with the Lord. So when they're complaining, when they're whining, it means they have a problem with God. Okay, so did you, did you just feel that? Like the, the intensity of this just kind of like amped up just a little bit? This is a little, I mean, it's one thing for us to joke a little bit about uh, being impatient and complaining and grumbling a little bit in the car in traffic, but, 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 but man, like this kind of almost puts us on the edge of our seats a little bit. We realize like this is, this got serious really fast. Like th- this is intense. Here they are, their attitude is demanding and accusing and questioning and doubting. Listen, they say, give us water. We might say, give me what I want now. 
Now, I know that, like, when we talk to God, we, um, we don't talk to him like that. We, we're careful with our tone of voice, right? <laughs> when you, when you, I'm pretty sure most of you probably don't pray that way. But, but think about this. How often do we come into spending time with the Lord and we skip right over spending time in praise and, and thinking about how great and awesome he is and, and thanking him for who he is and what he has done for us and all the, the reasons that we have to, to give him thanks and, 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 and even times of confession where we're realizing that, you know, like I'm, I'm not in the right and, and, and God, I want to get this right. We, we skip right over that and we go right into our list of things that we need God to do for us. See, if, if, if my time in prayer is mostly just requests or like a list of demands, what it's showing is that, that when I'm coming in to pray before the Lord, I'm not thinking about him. Who am I thinking about? I'm just totally focused on me and what I got going on. And that's why I'm here, because I need him to do things for me. And sometimes prayer can almost even then become a ritual that I just go through to make sure that I get the blessing, almost like a good luck charm. I want to make sure I get the stuff that I need him to do for me. It's, a, it's self-centered, isn't it? See, that's what happens when you have this kind of demanding, self-centered attitude as if the universe revolves around me and, and God primarily just exists, or at least the only time that I really need him is when I need him to do something to make me happy, and then it starts to assume that I deserve to get what I want when I want it. And I might not say it that way. I mean, like, but... but we need to be really careful that we're not just telling God how we want things to go and then getting frustrated when it doesn't happen. Like we would say, hey, God, you know, um, I, I've got this interview coming up. Like, just give me this promotion or, or uh, help this conversation that I have to have. Help, help this thing to go well. Or, or God, give me a family or, or, or take this sickness away or, or, or fix this problem that I'm in. And I know and when, when we're praying, we say, please, please, God. But if God doesn't answer the way we want and if he doesn't give it to us, then um, I'm just not going to be happy. And we start copping an attitude with God and start pointing the finger and blaming him for why we're struggling. Now watch what happens. Demanding moves quickly to accusing. Because look at what they're asking, verse 3. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us? So, so here's, logically, they're not asking a question. They're not like, hey, God, did you bring us out here to kill us? They just skip right over that and assume that God had evil motives for his actions. It's kind of crazy. You see, when my kids need something, and, and, and they're, like, in trouble. Uh, they come to me, and they're asking, and they can be really persistent, right? Daddy, I need some water. Daddy, I need some water. Daddy, 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 until it's, okay, all right, enough. But, but here, the children of Israel just skip right over that, that persistent begging, and they go right to questioning the character of God and actually accusing him of doing wrongdoing. Basically looking in his face and saying, you're not a good God. And, and I know that we don't think we do this, but I think we do need to be careful that this can happen in our hearts and in our attitudes when something's happening that I don't like and I start to kind of question. Like, God, 
how could you let this happen to me? Or if you were, if you were good, if you really loved me, then this wouldn't happen. But we need to be careful because our, our self-centered attitudes can lead us to actually question God's character when things aren't going our way and, and then start doubting the promises of God. Look at the, look at the question that they asked there in verse 7. Verse 7 says, is the Lord among us or not? I just want to say, like, after everything that we've uh, studied here in the book of Exodus, is that really a question at this point? I think about all that God has done. What, what more does he have to do for them to prove that he is with them? He, he heard their cry for help in slavery. He spared them from the, pl- the plagues that he brought them, and, and, and he brought them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And even then, he didn't just peace out and leave them to fend for themselves. He's, he's leading them by a, a pillar of cloud by day and by a pillar of a, a fire by night, and he's miraculous, miraculously providing a quail and, and, and water and, and manna so that they have bread, something to eat, and, and, and they're, they're just choosing because, remember, Attitude is a choice. They're just choosing to forget all of that stuff, all that God has really done for them, and they're believing a lie. The lie that says that God doesn't really care and that God is not really good. And that's not true. It's not true. Which is why Moses is so on point to ask them this question. Because I, I know you're thinking, it's like, well, he just, they're just whining about their situation. They're taking it to Moses. Moses realizes that's not really what's happening here. They say, why do you test the Lord? Now, what's interesting here is, up to this point, God has been the one testing them. He said that at the end of chapter 15, chapter 16, verse 4. But now they're reversing the roles. See, God was testing them, but God was not testing them because he wanted them to fail. God was testing them so that he could teach them that they could trust him. But here they are, and they're testing God just because they want to accuse him. It's like they're, 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 they're acting like God is on trial. And not just taking legal action against Moses, they're lawyering up to bring a lawsuit against God. So when I'm having a bad attitude because I don't like how things are going and, and I think things should be different, um, I just have to recognize it is so dangerous to think that I'm in the place to complain and question and accuse God. Essentially saying, hey, God, I'll be the one to judge here. I'll be the one to decide whether this is fair and right or not. Now, some of you think that I'm just being a little overdramatic because you're, you know, you're just mumbling a little bit and things just don't always go your way. And so it's not that big of a, can I show you why? I want to show you Psalm 95. This story comes up so many times. I've got this for you on the screen, but Psalm 95 actually recounts this uh, event and I think helps show why they responded this way. Check this out. Um, Here's what the psalmist says. He says, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. That's what Moses calls this place in verse 7. We know he's talking about this event. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, listen, the reason they're complaining, they're putting God to the test. Why? Because they had hardened their hearts. 
So really what we need to hear this morning is, don't harden your heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to harden your heart? Well, to harden your heart, um, it means that first you just refuse to listen to God's word or believe what it says and follow him in obedience. It's like, I'm not listening to this. I've got a different idea. I'm not sure that I trust what that says, and I'm not gonna follow. I'm not doing what God's word says. That's how you harden your heart. We call that rebellion. It's rebellion. It's rebellion against God and what he's told us in his word. And so can I help you understand? This is why our whining and our complaining and our grumbling and our questioning and our bad attitudes are not just a little sin that we can laugh about that's not really all that big of a deal. It's because it it reveals a heart of rebellion against God. That I am making the choice in this moment to believe lies about who God is and what his word says. And I wouldn't say it like this, but, but I end up believing these lies that, that when all of creation and God's word are declaring to us that he deserves all the glory, I'm like, no, God, I'm more important. My needs come first. Or, or, or when it says to us that his way is best, I'm thinking, no, this isn't, this isn't right. I've got a better idea. I should get to call the shots. My plan will work. Or when it says to me that he loves me and that he cares for me because he's good, I'm thinking unless he gives me what I want and what I think is fair, I'm just not feeling it. It doesn't feel like love to me, and and I'm not sure that I can trust him. I feel like I'm all alone. i got to look out for me. You see, when when I am grumbling and I'm complaining, I'm not believing the truth of what his word says. What his word says is true about who he is and what he has done, and I'm essentially rebelling against his control over my life and the circumstances and what he's allowing me to go through. Because let's be honest, that's what's happening. When I'm in something that I don't like, and I don't like my circumstances, I want to be in control so that I can change it. And so my bad attitude is really to spite his leadership. Which is probably why, um, if you think about it, a lot of our complaining ends up directed towards the people that God has put over us in leadership. See, that, that's what's happening in verse 2 there. The people are quarreling with Moses. Now, somebody else pointed this out to me. I'm not sure that I would have seen it, but it's right there in the text. It's kind of implicit if you think about it. Think, think about this. Somebody had to start that. It all started with one person who just had to tell somebody how they felt. I gotta get this off my chest. And one person complaining and grumbling to another person about the Lord's plan and appointing Moses and putting him in charge. They start complaining about this, and then that complaining just became contagious until it spread like a wildfire, until they're all ganged up on him and living in rebellion. And if you think about this, you're kind of like waiting, like, where's the guy that put a stop to this? We're, we're, we're here we are, we're, we're wrestling with this, and like, I'm not sure that God, I, I'm not sure we can trust God's plan, and I don't know, I like this, and he just brought us out to kill us, and, and, and we don't, what, what, what's Moses supposed to do? Where's the guy that stopped it and said, uh, that's not right? 
You see, listening to complaining and participating in it fuels the fire of rebellion. I think we need to be really careful here because your attitude, my attitude, can be infectious and start a war. Don't be that guy that starts it. and Don't be the guy that keeps it going either. And God says this, we saw this last week, Philippians chapter 2. He said, do all things without grumbling. All things. Everything you do without grumbling. And there's no caveat here. He doesn't say, do all things without grumbling, unless it's totally unfair and the situation calls for it. He doesn't say that. So, so let me give you an example for this, okay? Real life, here's where the rubber meets the road. If, even if you think that that situation that you're dealing with at work is unfair or unorganized or unclear or unsupported or whatever it is, God is not pleased when you start griping about it with another coworker talking negatively about your leaders and about the management and putting them down and undermining their leadership and just complaining and grumbling and constantly questioning all that. God is not pleased with that. Now, that doesn't mean that you, know, you never uh, uh, try to be problem-solving and, 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 and that you just you're, deal with it. You're stuck with it. You just got to live with it. Now, um, if you can, go to your leaders when they allow that and offer helpful feedback and suggested su- suggestions, but uh, solutions that you can try to figure these things out. But listen, think about this. Even if they don't listen, even if they don't receive it, and even if they don't change anything, who is the one who is ultimately in control and put you in that situation. God did. Now, God may uh, allow you to remove yourself from that situation and find another environment. He may do that. But complaining about it really demonstrates, I don't like God's plan, and I don't like submitting to his leadership, and, and, and I kind of want some control here. Because the problem is, our bad attitudes stem from hard hearts that don't believe his word and don't trust his control. So we need some good news. (laughs) let's, Let's unpack the second part of this now. And here's what's crazy. It's because his shocking response can change our hearts, which then changes our attitudes. Think about... I mean, poor Moses. Um, he, he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, literally, right? He's like, God, you got you to gotta do something with these people. They're about to kill me, and I, I don't know what to do. I can't get them any water. What am I supposed to do here? So, so look at how God responds to this. Verse 5, he says, take some leaders, take them with you, and take that staff. Remember that staff? Remember, remember, remember that one that I used to turn the waters of the Nile into blood? And I used it again to part the waters of the Red Sea. Like, I've got control over water. And this staff was just this symbolic reminder of God's power and God's presence with them. He says this, verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the water, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. All right, now let's get our bearings here, because I want to show you what's happening and where we're at. Where, where are we? right now. What, what in the world's going on, okay? Let me show you where we're at. We are traveling down, uh, coming out of Egypt. We're coming out of the wilderness of Sin, and it says, verse 1, that we camp at Rephidim. We're camping at 
Rephidim. And then it says God's telling them he's going to go stand before them at the rock at Horeb. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. We've arrived. We're at Mount Sinai. And we've actually been here before. Some of you may remember Moses was here back in chapter 3. Remember this? I got it for you on the screen so that you'll see this. Here here it was. Um, Exodus chapter 3 told us that Moses was keeping the flock, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Remember that? Here we are, where God met with Moses in the burning bush. And when God was there meeting with Moses in this spot, he actually gave him a promise. Chapter 3, verse 12. Check this out. I've got it for you on the screen. God said this, I will be with you. And then, this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Here we are. God is proving his presence with them, which is why it doesn't make sense for them to be asking, verse 7, they're asking, is the Lord among us or not? Are you kidding? After all that God has already done for them, and and, and now they're upset because there's a water shortage? What are are we going to do? And God has literally already shown them that he has the power to take care of that. He's already provided water for them before, but they're still going to put the Lord to the test. You know what God ought to do? God ought to strike them down for their complaining, their rebellious hearts, and their refusal to believe him and trust him, listen to him, and know that he's got it taken care of. They ought to, God ought to strike them down. But verse 6, he says, I will stand before you there on the rock, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it. Now watch this. Here's God's shocking response is that he stands before his people, And instead of striking them, he strikes himself and provides water for them to drink. Some of you are thinking, like, wait, I I thought he hit the rock. He hit hit a rock. Well, Well, Paul's thinking about this story. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul's thinking back on this. He says, our fathers, you know, they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, and they're under the leadership of Moses. Now, check out verse 4. He says, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. This rock prefigures Jesus. And John chapter 19 says that when Jesus was on the cross, the soldiers pierced him uh, with, with their spear, and what came out? Blood and Water. Jesus was struck and put to death by men so that men could be forgiven and drink the living water and live with him for all eternity. Despite their grumbling, despite their rebellious hard hearts, God shows grace. And that grace can change your heart. Jesus is the rock of our salvation, says Psalm 95. So do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, 
as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. Verse 7, Moses called this place Massah, which means testing, and, and, and Meribah, which means quarreling because of the quarreling, because they tested the Lord. So the, the, the name of this place now is going to just be this perpetual reminder of their failure to follow and, and, and believe and trust the Lord on this day. And I want to tell you that Jesus absolutely has this day in Israel's history in mind when he's in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's being tempted by Satan. Remember this? How did, how did Jesus respond when he was being tempted by Satan? What did he do? He quoted scripture. Let me show you one of the verses from Deuteronomy that Jesus quotes directly while he's in the wilderness being tempted. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Our Savior looked at Satan and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the rest of that verse says, As you tested him at Massah. Do you think Jesus knew what was happening in that moment? You see, Jesus does what Israel failed to do. And he overcame the temptation to be grumpy and to be irritable and to complain and to question his father's sovereignty and his goodness and, and try to take control here. God, Jesus is not sitting out in the wilderness griping about his situation, even though uh, we, we could see how that conversation would go. He's been out there for 40 days. It's kind of miserable. And if Jesus was anything like us, he'd be thinking, man, I hate this. Why'd we even create this stupid wilderness? There's no food out here. There's no people out here to talk to. I'm all alone. It's hot. I mean, why'd I have to leave heaven for these people anyway? They're the ones that messed everything up to begin with. I'm the king. I don't deserve to be treated like this. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus humbled himself. And he trusted the Father's plan. Church, I think the thing that we need most is to stand in awe at the wonder that is Jesus and his humility and his good attitude. I'm becoming more and more convinced that you don't need um, helpful tips or a, a four-step plan to adjust your attitude. Your bad attitude is a spiritual problem in your heart. And if we're going to have spiritual growth, then we need the work of God's Spirit impressing the power of the gospel on our hearts so that we love Jesus. We stand in awe of him. We're amazed by his grace to us despite what we deserve. Despite the fact that we're going to talk about this for three weeks and we're going to go before the Lord and we're going to try to change these things and we're still going to grumble and complain and mess up. But God doesn't strike us down even then because he struck down Jesus in our place. When your heart is full of gratitude and trust in the Lord's kindness and the Lord's goodness to you, and trust in his control over your life in every situation. You won't have a bad attitude. And you're going to be coming more and more like Jesus. So I want the worship team to come now. And, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to praise the Lord. But before we sing, I want to take just a couple minutes right where you're at, and pray.
don't know about you, but God's been dealing with this attitude thing on me for a few weeks. And, and maybe it's time for you to really do some business with the Lord and where your heart's at on these things. And so I want to encourage you right where you're at, just in the quietness of your heart, spend a couple minutes just praying before the Lord. And I want you to lay down that circumstance, that situation that you've been dealing with that's making it really hard. And, and God knows, and, and he knows that some of, those things, some of those struggles are real. I want you to lay that down before the Lord and think about your attitude in it. And if your attitude has been grumbling, complaining, believing things that are not true about him, about you and what you deserve, just confess that. And then just thank God for his grace. That even when you are struggling with your attitude, He's not going to strike you down because he's already struck his son down for you. I want to take a moment just to pray and turn our grumbling and complaining into praise.